Aloha Church. Uh, while we remain standing and open up our Bibles to John chapter 14, the Gospel of John, we are in chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word, that you have not hidden yourself from us, but you declare to us who you are clearly, Father. And we uh, just come this morning to worship you through song, worship through you through your word, through communion, through giving. Uh, and Father, we just ask that you would inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, that you would, Father, just uh, open up our hearts and our minds to see the beautiful truths of your word, Lord, that you have given to us. We ask that you would do this right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Y'all doing all right? Awesome. Well, I want to welcome you to our gathering. We're glad that you are here. And a little backstory to the song that we just sang, His Mercy Is More. Uh, it was composed just a few years ago by a guy named Matt Papa, uh, but it was inspired by a John Newton sermon. Uh, John Newton was a man that we all know uh, who famously wrote the song Amazing Grace. And I want to read to you the part of the sermon that inspired this song. Quote, are not you amazed sometimes that you should have so much as hope? That poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinketh of you. But let not all you feel discouraged. For if our physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if he casts no one out that come to him, why should you fear? Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, 
but he is power. Most of our complaints are owing to unbelief and the remainder of legal spirit, and these evils are not removed in a day. End quote. It's powerful words. And singing truths uh, like this last song is a powerful, it's a very powerful part of our spiritual formation. It doesn't just engage our brain. Singing engages our whole entire being. And so worshiping and declaring these truths through songs uh, realigns our hearts, our desires, our emotions, and our thinking with the gospel. It realigns us with things that really matter. So here at Shorebreak, we strive to sing songs that are theologically sound, that are biblical, and hopefully congregational, so you can also join in and sing. So we are in a series on the seven I Am statements of Jesus, and last week we heard uh, Raymond preach uh, Jesus declare that he is the resurrection and the life. Because the reality is that we will all face death. We will all die. It's no surprise. Not only that, but those who are not found in Christ are all spiritually dead. That's how we work as well. So the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life means that he has power to resurrect our spirits and our bodies. And Jesus proved that power by resurrecting Lazarus and by his own resurrection. And so just like death had no power over Jesus, death has no power over us, those who are found in Jesus. And though we will die, we will resurrect to life with God. And this truth should bring great hope to us as Christians. And so, this morning as we uh, turn to chapter 14, we find our sixth I am statement, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the disciples, we see when Jesus uh, had this conversation with them, the disciples were confused about Jesus' words. Um, so I have a great burden, task. I hope I don't confuse you as much. If, if from the words of Jesus they were confused, from my words, who knows. Um, but how many of you intentionally uh, believed lies? How many of you enjoy being lied to? Probably not many of us. Um, I would assume um, that no one finds lying entertaining. Right now in our house, uh, we are trying to teach some of our kids the difference between a joke and a lie. Um, you think there'd be a pretty clear difference, but nope. Our son Caleb, uh, a few, few weeks ago, he said something like this, Dad, the mongoose ate all the chickens. And that was not a good joke, because a few weeks before that, the mongoose did eat our chickens. And... I told him, Caleb, you cannot be the boy who cries wolf. He thinks it's funny, but I don't like it. We don't like being lied to. We don't like liars. And that's because God has made us truth-seeking creatures. He gave us the ability to discern, seek out, and know the difference between truth and lies. If we get a little philosophical for a bit, 
We know that truth is absolute, otherwise it would not be truth. If truth was not absolute, we could not trust it. For example, circles cannot be squares. When we say square, we all, we all know what we're talking about. We can trust that we're speaking of a square. Two times two equals four. Nothing else. Four is the answer. And so this truth, as basic or complex as it is, is essential for our survival. It is essential for culture being, building. That is why the same math is taught all over the world. Truth is how we build trust. If you're lost in a jungle, you're walking in circles, you can't find your way out. If you have a compass, you know the true north, and you will be able to find your way out. True north is the absolute truth that you can trust for your survival. Without it, your chances are slim. A doctor can save a life when he knows the truth about his patient's condition and he knows the truth about the cure for a disease. And the combination of those two can save lives. But here's the problem. We have a very interesting relationship with truth. Often, we only want to believe things that are convenient to us. We believe it, we believe truth, when it only supports our agenda, our desires. We gladly accept truth that supports our assumptions, but when truth contradicts us, we quickly begin to investigate. We test it for holes. We try to discredit it. We live in a culture that has a love-hate relationship with truth. For the same reasons we love truth, we hate it. Because truth is not flexible. Truth is fixed. Truth is anchored. And that can feel limiting. We are okay when math is absolute truth and it sends rockets to space. We are okay when chemistry is absolute and it results in cures for diseases. We are okay when engineers use absolutes to build us iPhones. But when it comes to morals, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to life in the womb, when it comes to gender, I can't believe this is on the list now. All of a sudden, truth, absolute truth becomes limiting. It becomes offensive. We don't like it. We call it, the world calls it, bigotry. Paradoxically, as truth-seeking, truth-loving creatures as we are, we also choose what we want to believe. And so in the world of thousands of religions, thousands of ways to seek and find God, Jesus 
declares this truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. And this one verse, these absolutes, are some of the most offensive words of Jesus to our culture and to our world today. Jesus doesn't say that he is a way or one of the ways, but that he is the way, the only way to God. It's very absolute, very clear. And so it seems limiting. It seems rigid. It seems exclusive. Thousands of religions excluded. Billions of people worshiping wrong gods headed in the wrong direction. These words are so offensive that even some Christians became ashamed of them. And so my goal this morning is to see with you how this statement is actually the greatest news to the world and how it is the most inclusive and most loving statement that Jesus could ever say. So let's jump into our text and see what is going on here. So chapter 13 and through 17 is all happening in the upper room. You guys seen the picture of the Last Supper, Jesus having dinner with his 12 disciples. We've all seen that picture. Uh, that is what's happening. We are at the Last Supper. Jesus will be arrested that evening. Uh, so this is kind of a farewell dinner. In the intimacy of his closest friends, Jesus is sharing with them his last words. Earlier in the evening, just moments ago, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Uh, he told them about his coming death. Uh, he sent Judas on his way uh, to do the dirty work of betraying Jesus. Uh, Jesus just instituted the first communion. And after communion, Jesus told Peter in the end of chapter 13, that Peter will, hit, will deny him three times. So the disciples are facing the inevitable, the shocking reality that Jesus is about to die. The man they followed for three years is tragically leaving them, and they can't do nothing about it. Their world is crumbling, it's falling apart, they are sad, and Jesus, seeing their sadness, tells them, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So here we see Jesus is standing between two worlds. The world of sin, sorrow, betrayal, denial, the only world these troubled disciples know of. And he's standing between the world uh, where he came from and where he is going. Uh, a place with his Father, a place of glory where one can be in the presence of God. And so Jesus is comforting his friends. He is promising them that he is going to prepare a place and then come back 
and take them to himself. So as Jesus is comforting them, as he's speaking these amazing truths, Thomas, one of his disciples, begins to talk. And usually when Jesus says something amazing and the disciples try to say uh, something in response, what they say is not amazing. It's just how it usually went. And so Thomas, he's known as a doubter. He's known as a man that's prone to misunderstanding. Isn't that a lot of us? He tells Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. And verse 5, Thomas, speaking on behalf of all the disciples, says, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So who is right, who is wrong? Do they know the way or do they not? And so Thomas triggers this response from Jesus. Verse 6, Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, Jesus gives them another mind-blowing statement. We'll get into it in a bit here. And immediately after, another disciple decides to talk. That's Philip this time. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Philip is done with obscurities. He just wants a clear answer. He wants to get to the point. Jesus, if you are the way to the Father... If, you, if we have seen him like you say uh, we have, then let's do this right here, right now. Show us the Father. Pretty fair request, yeah? Ultimately, between Thomas's question, request, and Philip's request, we have two questions. The first is how do we find the way to where you are going? How do we get to this amazing place, God's house? The question can be simply asked as, how do we get to heaven? And the second question is, how can we see God, know God? How can we see Him like face to face? And if you think about it, those are the questions humanity has been asking itself for a very long time. What does life after death look like? Where do we go? And who is God? How can we discover him? How can we uncover him? Who is he? Where is he? And what is he like? Every person asks those questions. And we ask them because we are spiritual, we are eternal beings. Every person knows, every one of us knows, that this life on earth is not it. There's something beyond it. We had a beginning, but we have no end. Welcome to the party. You will always be alive from now on. There will be no end to you. That's it. There's more to this life than just flesh. And life continues on even after 
physical death. It's a sobering thought. I was kind of scared thinking about this yesterday. And so in our text, Jesus gives an answer to those two questions. How do we get to heaven, and how can we see God? And for both of those questions, the answer is the same. Jesus points them to himself. How do we get to heaven? What is the way there? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can we see God? The answer is in the middle of verse 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus points to himself as the answer to both of these questions. And so, why Jesus? Why is Jesus? How can Jesus be the answer to these important questions? Why is he the way to God? God has never closed himself off from humanity. From the beginning of time, God has made himself known to humanity through various ways. But the ultimate revelation of God the ultimate revelation to us is through the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus, who was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. Jesus is the embodiment of God. And we can talk about this all day and still not able to, be, to grasp the mystery. I don't even know how to take this time and to explain it, so I'll go to Paul and have him explain it to us. Colossians 2, 9, uh, we read, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Colossians 1, 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God is unfathomable. He's incomprehensible. Our minds cannot even begin to fathom him. We can't wrap our heads around him. We can't logically... He's inexhaustible. So the way God reveals himself and relates to us is through Jesus. Jesus, being 100% God and 100% man, can relate to us and represent us. It's a way to, to communicate. It's a way to present himself to us with our small minds that don't have the capacity to grasp God. And even the person of Jesus in the flesh, as he's talking, the disciples are still having a hard time fathoming and comprehending him. So Jesus is the embodiment. He's the fullness of deity. He's the fullness of deity in a body. It's Jesus. So when Philip asks to see the Father, to see God, Jesus says to him, verse 9, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own accord or authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. 
So to Philip's request, show us the Father. In short, the very, very short answer of Jesus is, Philip, you're looking right at him. You're looking at God. The Father has revealed himself through me. You see me, you see the Father. I do what the Father wants me to do. I say what the Father wants me to say. Church, the way we see God, the way we get to God, is not through Buddha. It is not through Muhammad. It is not through your own personal achievements and good works. It is not through Brahmin. But God has revealed Himself through the person of Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know God. Amen? Now, major topic change. Not really. Um, it will relate at some point. You might have seen in the news recently or on Twitter, uh, Elon Musk uh, is calling us to nuke Mars. He's saying we need to drop some nuclear missiles on Mars. I don't know the science behind that, but um, there might be no science. But the purpose of it is to create some carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and maybe someday uh, Mars will be able to support life. We actually have been looking for other planets to live on for some time now. Maybe the moon, maybe the Mars, maybe something else. We want to prepare a place for ourselves in case the Earth gets ruined and can't support life anymore. We could possibly, maybe, I don't know, escape to another planet. But even if we do, here's the truth. We cannot escape ourselves. We cannot leave our brokenness behind. You can't just shrug your guilt off. We have a sin issue embedded deep within us. And a new planet will not resolve our sin issue. It will not resolve death. We have a sin issue, not a planet issue. And if you die on Earth, if you die on Mars, or if you die on your way to Mars, you will stand before God and you will give an account. When Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, he's not saying he's going to build some planet. He's not saying that he's uh, going to build some, some place. There are already many rooms in the Father's house. There is already space for all. But the preparation that he is talking about here is what's going to happen really soon. The preparation is the cross. What keeps us away from God? What keeps us separating from fellowship with Him? What keeps us from His glory? It's our sin. We can't live in God's eternal home with our sinfulness. And so to make a way for us to dwell with God, God has paid a tremendously expensive price. 
the price was the life of his own son. Jesus is the only one able to pay the price for our sin. Jesus is the only one who is able to wash us clean from our guilt. The way to God is through the cross. Jesus has dealt with our sin issue. He has made a way for us to have eternal life with God. The very thing that the disciples are troubled about here, the death of Jesus, is the very thing that will make a way for them to be with him, to have life with God. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, he doesn't mean that now we have to follow the trail that he has blazed into eternity. No, Jesus himself is the way. Trying to do what Jesus did is impossible. You can devote your whole life to follow the path of Jesus and still not know the way. Because Jesus himself is the way. When Jesus says, I am the truth, it doesn't mean that he merely speaks truth or he gives good advice. No, he is the embodiment of truth. He is the word of God made flesh. And so when Jesus says, I am the life, what he means is that he has defeated death, he has resurrected, and he alone has the power to resurrect and to bring eternal life to our dead souls. He has entered into heaven as God-man, and through that, he has created a place for us to be with God. So the way to know, the way to see God, the way to be with God is all through Jesus. It's through trusting, it's through knowing, it's through being with Jesus. There is no other way. So why is this good news? Why are these truths inclusive? Why is this the best story the world can hear? Like we said, Jesus is the only one who has dealt and who can deal with our sin. That means that no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, Jesus is able to forgive you, he is able to cleanse you, and he is able to bring you to God. There are no limitations on who can come. This call is for all. There is not a person that Jesus cannot forgive and bring to life. It is all inclusive. And it becomes exclusive only when we reject it, when we do not believe in it. By loving our sin, by loving darkness more than light, we are the ones who make this truth exclusive. Unlike other religions, when coming to Jesus, there are no loopholes to jump through. There are no rituals to complete. There are no works that you need to do. All that is required is that you trust and believe in Jesus as true and only way to eternal life with God, who has completed everything on our behalf. The disciples have walked with Jesus for three years. They have believed in him. 
not just as man, but they have believed in him and trusted him as their God. But these men, as we see in our text, did not have it all together. And in the final hour, as Jesus is calling them to continue to trust him, even though this, all this turmoil is going on, and in this moment, Jesus is making them the promise of eternity. He's promising them life. He's promising that he will come back and take them to be with him, knowing that Peter will deny him. He knows that they doubt him, despite all the misunderstandings and unbelief. Jesus is still telling them that he will bring them to life. These men are not examples of holiness and righteousness. In this moment, they are scared. They are troubled. They are about to abandon and deny Jesus. Yet Jesus offers them his righteousness. Jesus is the one that will hang on the cross in days to come to die for the sins of these men, for their doubt, for their unbelief, for their cowardly fear. His death is the only reason he can promise them that, he, that they will be with him. Aren't we so much like these men? We too struggle with sin. We struggle with doubt, misunderstanding. We all carry brokenness within us. There's elements of us that are just not complete. We don't have all the answers. We have a lot of questions. You might walk away from this sermon still asking the questions that Thomas and Philip were asking, still confused about Jesus' words or mine. But you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all together. The only thing Jesus asks of you is what he asked of his troubled disciples. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So do you believe? Do you trust Jesus? Do you desire to know him? Do you treasure Jesus as the greatest and most absolute truth in your life? And if you do, even though you don't have it all together, you know God. You know the way to God. Even though you struggle, Jesus will bring you to your eternal home. Look at these disciples. Look how they're broken and Jesus has taken them to eternity. Trust in Jesus and believe in him. And if you don't believe, if you don't know Jesus, know this. That without Jesus, you are living your best life now. The worst is yet to come. And I say that with sadness. So I ask you, put your trust in the one who has the answers to your life's biggest questions. Know that he has dealt with your sin. He has dealt with your guilt. There is no one else that could do what Jesus did. There is no 
answer to your questions outside of Jesus. There is nothing you can do to make your wrongs right. Only Jesus can. He already did. So trust in him. Believe in him. Repent of your sin and he will cleanse you and make himself known to you. His mercy is greater than your sin. Church, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I want to close and tell you that missions matter. That is why we support as a church missionaries like Todd and Carla. Todd is in Kenya uh, this morning. I think it's actually evening there. I don't know. Corey and Annalise, um, who are working hard, uh, learning French in France uh, to go to serve in Africa. It is important to us to spread the message of the gospel throughout the world and reach those who are broken and lost. Your mission matters wherever you're at. Your testimony matters, Christian, because the world is lost, yet they seek these answers. They, they seek the answers to these questions, and we know, church, we know the one who has the answers. It is Jesus. He is the way to God. He is the truth that we all need to hear, and he is the source of eternal life with God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you have provided a way, that you did not abandon us, that you did not leave us in our sin, you did not leave us in destruction, but by your mercy, you have paid the greatest price you have given up your son Jesus to suffer, to die the death that we deserve in our place so that we may have a way to you, God. And Father, I pray for those who do not know you this morning. Father, may you just show them your need for you. May you show them that Jesus has the answers to our deepest questions. Father, we all know that we are eternal beings. We may have 20 years, 40 years, 80 years, 100 years. But what time? That, that's, that's so little time, God. And then it's eternity. And then we face you. So God, I pray that every soul here would find the way. That every soul here would know the truth. And that every soul would have life. Do your work amongst us, Lord. Bring the lost to yourself by the power of the Spirit through your word, God, this morning. And Lord, for those who are struggling with doubt, Father, who are struggling with their brokenness, Lord, Father, and they may, but they know you, they believe in you, may you comfort them. May you show them that this is a process. The process of knowing you the process of belonging to you. And one day you will make us whole. You will make all the wrongs right. It will be in your presence, worshiping you forever. And we thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.